Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy, the show that talks 100% LA Galaxy soccer. We're glad you could join us. Now it's time to sit back and relax as your hosts navigate through the twisting, turning, but never boring world of the five-time MLS Cup champion, LA Galaxy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I am your host, Josh Guessman. Joining me on the program tonight is Miss Britt Pergle. We are glad to be coming to you live on a Thursday night, January 4th from Corner of the Galaxy Studios. We have a great show set up for you. Lots of stuff going on in LA Galaxy land with the schedule release and a lot of fun things going on as well in terms of re-signings and possibly some signings coming up. So uh, again, stack show ready to go on a Thursday night with you. Also have an observer in the studio, Mr. Uh, Michael Jackson, the celebrity, as you can tell. Uh, he's here to uh, listen along with us as we record this Thursday night show. But let's check in with Miss Britt Pergle before we get anywhere else. Britt, how's it going? Good. How are you, Josh? I am hanging in there. It is a, a busy time across uh, Los Angeles soccerscape as we uh, get ready to go. Two teams now in Los Angeles. Uh, lots of things going on between the two. Uh, the schedule gets announced as well. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of excited. I'm I'm ready for the season to start. I was kind of nerding out on the schedule release today. Like I'm one of like the four people that still has one of those like notebook planners and. The schedule's already written in. I'm pretty stoked about it already. <laughs> you had to sit down. And I was going to say, you are, because mine automatically gets updated on my calendar because I subscribe to the LA Galaxy one, so it's already in my calendar. But I did I did start to to work a little bit in terms of like trying to plan vacations and seeing what didn't work already. Did you already do that? Yes, I did. Of, of course you did. A few road games. Uh, penciled in. We'll see. Yeah, of course. I see. I know how that is. All right, so we'll see how it all goes uh, today. But again, we have a, uh, a bunch of stuff to get to, uh, a bunch of fun things to get to. Uh, let's get to the very first thing I want to talk about, and that is that the LA Galaxy made two announcements. Uh, Ashley Cole re-signs, and I'm going to say this very quick, very specifically. He re-signs with the LA Galaxy, because if I go on Twitter, Britt, you know my biggest pet peeve is re-signs and resigns. Right, Wait, and with, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you're not just saying the hyphen yourself right now, actually. <laughs> Re-hyphen signs, all right? So that is, uh, that, is, that is how it works, because I saw a bunch of people who apparently thought that Ashley Cole quit because they were saying that he resigns uh, and, and how it works. But um, Ashley Cole resigns with the, re-signs with the LA Galaxy. Uh, this is something that was widely expected as we looked at this, you know, this move at the end of the season and sort of whether or not Ashley Cole would be back. He was 36 last year. He's 37 now, Britt. Are we, are we anywhere near the fact that, that maybe this is not a good signing for the LA Galaxy? So I keep going back and forth in my head on whether or not this is a good signing. Cause of course the first thing to come to mind is how old he is and, if he's going to be able to keep up with the, the midfielders, forwarders, and forwards in the league, but at the same time, like putting together a, a potential starting lineup, he's in it. So I don't know if uh, I can really say this is a bad thing if I'm going to start him in my if Britt was manager lineup. Yeah, know? if Britt when when Britt is manager lineup, basically. Um, when, yeah, I like I like that change. By the way, <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and sign you immediately. Um, no, it, okay. So here's my thing, and I I think Britt, you and I have talked, and I've always been a, prop- a proponent of Ashley Cole coming back. 
Um, however, I'm also, I think, the one who rings the alarm bell the most on him, which is that he's 37 years old. He just turned 37 on December 20th. Happy Cole. Happy birthday, Mr. Ashley Cole. Um, and he's 37 years old. There's no doubt in my mind this was the right move for the LA Galaxy. One, because I think he can be a huge locker room guy. And two, I think that he can be, um, you know, a, make a real impact on the field. So I think both of those things are okay, but I am of the biggest belief this is a huge gamble with a 37-year-old. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one, well, he was out for, what, four to six weeks with that calf strain pretty early on last year. Right. So, I mean, that's always a concern, and, of course, turf and all of that discussion that plenty of people have had many times, but... Yeah, it's definitely a gamble with a 37-year-old. It's a gamble, and granted, you said he was out, and, and he was. He missed some games at the beginning of the year. He still had 2,500 minutes last year, uh, and he played in 29 games. Uh, excuse me, he started 29 games. We can say that it's 29 and 29 when you look at games playing, games started. So uh, the guy had two assists, one goal, uh, a couple shots on goal. Not bad for a left back who was 36 years old, and now 37 37 years old. I, here's the thing with me, and you look at the moves that the LA Galaxy have made at Defender. You have uh, Rolf Felcher. You have Jorgen Schelvik, right, with the fun new names that I have to learn how to say and make it sound uh, flawless all the time, otherwise people will give me crap. Uh, you have Dave Romney back there, Daniel Starris, Michael Ciani, uh, Hugo Ariano. Now you ha have Ashley Cole there as well. I mean, is there enough depth if he has problems this year? And, and I want to liken this a little bit, Britt, to, to Robbie Keane. And Robbie Keane had an unbelievable 2015 season. We all agree. And I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't have signed him to a 2016 year. But at the same time, in 2016, he was a shadow of the player he was in 2015. Is that sort of, do you feel like maybe that's setting it yourself up for the same way with Ashley Cole? I think that depth is definitely necessary. Um, just kind of looking at the defenders list, there's not really someone as solid who could take his spot. He's still, again, he would still be starting in my lineup. So I think that picking up at least one more solid outside back is kind of essential for this Galaxy team. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they do that. Uh, no other. There's one Hungarian defender that they've sort of been talking about. But when you look at how those rosters sort of filled out, I feel like they might be done with defenders. They might want to get a goalkeeper, but right now it feels like, at least in my mind, that defenders they may be done with. Which, you know, and I and I agree with you, we, we've talked with Dave Romney, Dave Romney on this show in this studio, and he said basically that he's a, you know, he's a center back more than he's a left back. But we also sort of use him as that fill for left back. Is that... and. You know what? There's there's a there's a better answer here, and I, I forgot that this you know had even come about. Is that Jorgen Schielvik is also a left back? He can play that left back position. So if you need to, you can have Daniel Stares, Dave Romney, Michael Ciani in the center back position, and you can put Schielvik out in the left back position. So I mean, does that make you feel better if you're at all worried like I am that he's 37 years old and he's not going to make it? I mean, it doesn't. It makes me feel a little bit better, I guess. But at the same time the Galaxy aren't going to win games if they keep allowing the amount of goals that they did in 2017. 67. So I think, yeah. Yes, way too many. Whatever that number is, <laughs> is way too many. Um, but I think really building up that defense is going to be an important thing going ahead. Yeah, and it seems like Siggy Schmidt and Kurt Schmidt have uh, certainly been putting that out the forefront of their reconstruction as they continue along. But the other announcement that was made, uh, Britt, as we continue along, is, uh, of course, Bajio Husidic. Uh, Bajio Husidic, another player who we expected to re-sign, re-signed. I, I don't know if it's a huge shock. Where do you put the Bajio Husidic addition? back to the roster. Um, where do you put that in terms of importance or not importance? Um, I think it's it's good to have a 
long-term MLS player in that depth role. I wouldn't necessarily have him in the starting lineup right away, but I think it's good to have him as a bench option. Yeah, I mean, he is going to be that that bench option. Here's the thing about Baggio Husinic. Uh, first of all, his nickname is Bulletproof Baggio, and I will never, ever not call him Bulletproof Baggio. Um, and, and somebody pointed out the fact that he broke his leg last year and was anything but uh, bulletproof, but that that comes from the bulletproof uh, uh, coffee that was once a sponsor for him for about ten minutes before they realized he was vegan and wouldn't use the bulletproof coffee. So bulletproof Baggio, um, he's he's underrated in my opinion. I I really do like the guy. Again, and and we're gonna talk about this in a second. I don't want to jump it, but he's a really smart player. He does what you ask him to. Bruce Arena used him in that role, Britt, in terms of, you know, hey, come into the game, kill the game off, be that defensive sort of midfielder that doesn't let things get out of hand. He's good at making the tactical foul. He can draw a foul when he needs one. He's not a great player, and I think that's sort of where everybody, like, loses it on Baggio, that you have to be a good, uh, great player, Britt. Everybody needs to be a great player in order to, you know, play in MLS or play on the Galaxy, and that's so not the case with Baggio Husinic. His, he's not a great player. He's a good player. He does the technical things good. He does the things that you expect him to do. But when you look at all the midfielders that are on this particular team, you might say that he's buried deep in depth. And it'll be interesting to see what his contract is because I don't know that the Galaxy went out and certainly didn't break the bank on Baggio Husinic. Right. I, I mean, I would probably put him halfway through depth, right? So I, I don't think he's super far down the bench because I would probably put, I don't know. I don't know if a healthy Hussitic would replace Jao Pedro. I don't know where Jao Pedro falls on that list either. So it's kind of interesting digging through these midfielders and, and really ranking them going into next season and hopefully maybe adding better quality in one or two of them as well. Yeah. Let's go over. Here's my, uh, here's my midfielders that I have um, right now. Uh, and there's nine of them. I think I said 10 earlier on Twitter. It's nine. Brick corrected me before we started the show. Uh, Giovanni Del Santos, midfielder forward. Just go with it on that one. Jonathan Dos Santos, definitely a midfielder. Alessandrini, a midfielder. Zardes, a midfielder. Sebastian Legette, a midfielder. Joao Pedro, a midfielder. Zardes can play forward as well. I don't want people yelling at me. Um, Joao Pedro, a midfielder. Manuel Botang, a midfielder. Bradford Jameson can play midfield. He also plays forward. We'll see where he ends up. And then Bashio Husidic as well. I mean, if I had to tell you you had to start four of those guys right now, could you put together a midfield that you feel very confident with? And sort of how do you look at the depth after that? I'm not sure if I could uh, really pick four that I would be super confident with. Um, or five, because certainly there's a lot of people talking about how the LA Galaxy will absolutely positively have to play a five-man midfield, blah, 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 blah. So if you think there's a five that you could get, I mean, if you want to throw Geo in there, right, that would probably be a midfielder that you could deal with sort of playing the quote-unquote number 10 role. God, it hurts when I say it, but the number 10 role. Um Maybe Jonathan Dos Santos is definitely a starter there. Uh, then who is the defensive midfielder? And that's sort of where we sit with Baggio Husidic. Is it Baggio? Is it Joao Pedro? Um, is it Carrasco, who the LA Galaxy haven't signed yet? Is it Perry Kitchen, who the LA Galaxy haven't signed yet? That's who I have in that role, is that Kitchen. So I know. I have Alessandrini and Legette on the outsides. Jonah and Gio kind of attacking with that geo a little bit far further ahead and then i have kitchen in there uh, with a question mark obviously but i guess i mean if kitchen doesn't work out putting baggio in there is it much stronger of a, a lineup than they had last year yeah so. yeah and, and i think that's sort of where it starts baggio is a guy who's going to pick up minutes for me um he's not going to pick up a ton of minutes 
but he you need him there for depth in case somebody gets injured, um, and you need him there to kill off games whenever that's important. And I think that's an important role for a Galaxy team who could not kill off games whenever they had the lead, which was almost never. Um, and it certainly wasn't the case where they couldn't slow people down coming through the midfield, and I think Baggio does a good job of that. And for all you Baggio haters, I don't care. Baggio is a, is a good player, and more importantly, both Baggio to me and Ashley Cole fill a greater role, Britt. And that greater role is that they're good locker room guys. And I know my good friend Chris Tucker cringes every time I say this guy is a great locker room guy because he says they need to be good guys on the field, which he's right. They do. Um, but at the same time, the locker room was such shambles last year. Uh, it was so lacking veteran leadership. And, and, some of these, and both of these guys were on the team, but <laughs> the bottom line was that there were other personalities who were overpowering the good sort of leadership that they needed. And to me, Baggio Husidic and Ashley Cole are two locker room guys who who really, really fill out some veteran leadership. Is, is that important when you're building a team? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I would agree with you in that both of them were great interviews. I really enjoyed um, any opportunity I got to interview either of them. And I could tell that there was, they definitely had some of those leadership qualities that were probably more quiet last year than they should have been. But um, I think re-signing re a player just because their good locker room presence isn't enough. Um, I, I guess I would have to agree with Tucker on this one in, in that they do have to be good on the field. And if it really is just a locker room presence, then I'm sure there's an extra assistant coach spot that could definitely maybe appear. Maybe Baggio. Maybe that's Baggio's new role as assistant coach. I don't know. Lots of people saying Ashley Cole, I think, would really dig a coaching spot. I don't know that Ashley Cole is all that interested in returning back to uh, England. Uh, he seems to like it here in Los Angeles. He seems to like the peace and quiet he gets. Uh, I don't think there's too right. many people who run across him on the street and go, oh, my God, it's Ashley. I mean, I would probably. Um, yeah, <laughs> Michael's in studio <laughs> said he, was, he would too as well. But, I mean, Ashley Cole just sort of gets to fly under the radar here in Los Angeles. Um, do we think, and, and going back to Cole, sort of as, as we look at these two signings, do we think that Ashley Cole and the LA Galaxy have made up? There's certainly, and, and Kevin and I have talked about it on our other shows, there certainly was some bad blood between the two whenever you look at um, maybe the LA Galaxy not giving Cole a raise that he was promised before Bruce Arena left, and then Bruce left, Viannis comes in, nixes, nixes the raise. Do we think that maybe this means that they have made up, that the LA Galaxy gave him a raise? Or do we think that <laughs> this was really the only place that he's going to play. And if he's not going to play here, he's going to retire. So he took whatever money they offered. I think that uh, if, I mean, with that whole bad blood thing, and he definitely did say in the locker room that he was, he was exploring his options um, with a potential move back to England. I think all of those were kind of bargaining pieces. I know that he definitely does enjoy it here. So if he can use any of those things to negotiate a better contract, then more power to him, in my opinion. Yeah, by the way, I'm looking in the chat room, and there's definitely somebody who says, I want to have a team of 11, of 11 Baggio who said it. I see, I like the, I like the, the humor that goes in on the live show uh, chat room. It, it, makes, it makes my day feel a lot better. So, um, and somebody said, of course, uh, of course, that Ashley Cole would love it here. Uh, he's close to the beach where he's going to. I said, if, you know, Ashley Cole gets knocked for the whole, I'm not ready to go to MLS, I'm not ready to retire on the beach whenever he was joining AS Roma, he gets knocked for that. But if Ashley Cole performs the way he does in MLS, and that's him retiring at the beach. I want to retire at the beach that he does because that makes that makes me uh, a pretty pretty good person there. So we'll see how that uh, that goes. But anyway, that's that's sort of where we sit with those two, and those are not surprises 
right? I mean, we sort of figured they were coming back, although there were certainly were some questions with all the defenders the Galaxy were were signing that um, maybe Ashley Cole didn't come back, but it always seemed like this was in the cards. Um, if they had got the <laughs> the other Hungarian Lang, um, maybe that would have been a question mark whether or not they got Ashley Cole. And maybe they still get Lang as, as a backup now, but um, it, it looks like at least now. The defense to me, Britt, in my mind, seems set. There's there's not a lot of movement there. I sort of understand. Maybe there's an argument between Siani and Steris. Um But other than that, I think that they have it all set and that everything it looks good on defense. Is there anything else on defense that you need to see the LA Galaxy do? I'm not sure if I have enough confidence in Steris and Romney. Um, just I, They did okay last year. I think they, they kind of... Uh, kind of plugged a hole in the boat where it was leaking, but I'm not sure if either of them are completely ready for first team minutes. Um, I, I think they, they do okay, but I think that, uh, I mean, I guess I would throw Siani in that boat as well, uh, just from what we saw of him at the end of last year. So I don't know. I would, I would like a little bit more movement in the defense there's if a, I had my way. There's a lot of defenders on that team now. I mean, it, it, it's not the same as midfielders, and certainly I added some guys who play forward as well into the midfield category. But when you look at the defense, there's there's some guys here now. You got Siani who plays defense, uh, Steris who plays defense, Romney, Hugo Ariano, which I think is certainly not first team ready, but um, you know could develop and and be a better player as you continue on throughout this year. Um, you have Shelvik, you have Felcher. You have Ashley Cole. Uh, maybe there is one more addition there. Maybe there's a little bit more depth. I think there's going to be a real competition for the second center back position. It's either going to be Daniel Stairs, in my opinion, or it's going to be um, it's going to be Siani. And right now, I would actually lean towards Stairs because, as as we've talked about on the podcast, it seems like the Galaxy shopping both Giassi's artists and Michael Siani, trying to get away from the contract of Michael Siani, which is six hundred and twenty-two. Or six hundred twenty thousand dollars um, for what we imagine will be the twenty eighteen season. So, all of this stuff um, really sort of coming to a head in terms of you know where those final spots are going to be. But Siani and Stairs, there could be some competition there. So, I, I think that's sort of the the only sort of the, the only sort of flexibility that's on the back line right now is who is that second uh, center back because Shelvik is going to take that that left sided probably center back, and whether it's Siani on the right hand side. Or whether it's Stair is on the right-hand side, we'll see. And I'm still, by the way, um, as I struggle to get through the podcast for the second uh, podcast in a row, still have this wonderful cough that is driving me crazy. So uh, if you see me uh, coughing hysterically on the live stream, or if you hear my voice sound pretty weird on just regular talking on the podcast, that's why. I think, Britt, you're also fighting a cold too, right? So between the two of us, we're, we're 100% healthy, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how it goes. All right. Uh, let's continue on now. Uh, just something that's worth mentioning. Uh, Jaime Villarreal, former LA Galaxy homegrown player, went and signed with the Sacramento Republic of the USL. So uh, I don't know that there's a whole bunch to talk about there. Uh, he didn't make a huge dent on any time on the senior team for the LA Galaxy. Played some USL minutes and did okay with those. Um, but to Sacramento Republic... <sighs> I guess this is just another thing goes along with Jack McBean going to Colorado, uh, John Kempen go to Columbus, uh, Diop to Montreal. Um, let's see, Jose Villarreal going to uh, Vancouver. So those are, I mean, when you look at all these and, and sort of where these guys have sort of landed, I don't think it's a huge surprise that Villarreal lands at a USL team and a, and a very good USL team that could become an MLS team here in the next year or so. I think uh, the only thing that comes to mind with this is when 
Jaime and Jose Villarreal finally started playing together this season. Um, I believe it was Scott French who asked, I think it was Jose, um, what do you think about getting to play together? Doesn't it feel special? And how is it for your parents? And Jose was like, you can ask my mom. She's seen us play for a long time together because they played together a lot with the, the Galaxy too. So I thought it was an interesting note and something to bring up here that they they're not together on the same team anymore, which would be a different experience for them and might might provide more growth as well. Yeah, nice. yeah. That, no, and and you never see it. And and Villarreal goes to um, Orlando on that one. I screwed up the Vancouver. I was thinking Brian Rowe whenever I was doing it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so Jose Villarreal in Orlando. Jaime Villarreal now over to Sacramento Republic. I, I, again, I don't know that there's a whole bunch to talk about, um, but it's something worth noting. It's at least a move that, that goes ahead and, and comes through. All right, let's go down and take a look at the LA Galaxy roster as it stands right now, Britt. There are 17 players currently signed and on the roster for the LA Galaxy. That includes Baggio Husidic and Ashley Cole, who just got added earlier this week. Um, that starts up at the very top, and I'll go down all of them so that way everybody knows where the roster sits at right now. I'm going to go over some of the issues that this roster has, and, and Britt and I can sort of talk about that. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos is, of course, your highest paid LA Galaxy player at $5.5 million in 2017. It wouldn't be surprising if that compensation went up in 2018. Contracts usually do that. Uh, so Giovanni Dos Santos is uh, a forward and a midfielder. We'll see where he ends up playing. Takes up a designated player spot and is an international as of right now. You have his brother, Jonathan Dos Santos, a midfielder, a designated player international as well, who will be making what we imagine will be right around $2 million for the 2018 season. That was his 2017 compensation, although he only earned about half of that because he only played in about half the games. Um, Roman Alessandrini, obviously the star of 20, uh, 2017 for the LA Galaxy, a guy who came in, performed admirably, earned every single penny of his $1.999 million for the LA Galaxy, uh, is a midfielder designated player and an international slot as well. Then you get down into Michael Ciani. Ciani at $620,000 defender, a targeted allocation money player likely in 2018 um, because they didn't have to do it in 2017. He only played nine games, so technically he didn't reach the targeted allocation money threshold. He also takes up an international spot, just in case you're keeping track. Uh, Giassi Zardis, a TAM player at $577 thousand five hundred dollars a forward and a midfield we'll see whether or not uh, Jossie's artist is still with this LA Galaxy team although it seems like he will be staying as of right now uh, Sebastian Lejet midfielder uh, a guy who was so injured last year didn't get to play really any games at all for the LA Galaxy and who's primed to have basically what everybody thought would be his breakout season uh, he will be back obviously with this club and he will be a starter in midfield so all of you saying that Boateng needs a start pump your brakes Sebastian Lejet's probably going to take over that left wing role with Roman on the right-hand side. Joao Pedro is a midfielder. He was a targeted allocation money player last year. It will be interesting to see what his salary and how they designate him this year because with the uh, with the transfer money that they ended up paying, which at one point was reported at about $1.5 million and now is maybe closer that it was actually about $650,000. With that transfer money going away and the targeted allocation money, he's, his designation could change because he only made $141,000 as a salary in 2017 for the LA Galaxy. So uh, you may actually free up some targeted allocation money for Joel Pedro uh, in 2018 uh, as we go forward. Ima Boateng, midfielder. Uh, I did not say international. 
for whatever reason, and we don't have a clear understanding, we imagine that Ima has a green card, and that's why he's not listed as an international, but the international designations are something that I argue about with MLS on a regular basis. Um, Wasn't that something last year that it was a big deal that it finally came in the mail, where he kept checking his yeah. mailbox every day? Yeah, I think that that was it, and the, the problem is that you can never get a straight answer from MLS on these things. If you remember Jack McBean, I once said that Jack McBean is a homegrown player, and then I said, no. Uh, no, he's not going to be a homegrown player because this is the information I got from the league. And then like a week later, it was, no, 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 he's a homegrown player again. So um, the des- this is, and and my good friend uh, over there who I work with on a regular basis, on a daily basis, Chris Glidden, who works for uh, the PR in LA Galaxy, he knows that I have this thing for player designations. And so um, we I, I constantly bug him about these things. So Emo Boateng, not an international player, just wanted to clear that up. And you're right, Britt, there was something about a green card coming in the mail last year. So um We'll see if that continues to play out, and that is right. So uh, Daniel Starr's defender, uh, Bradford Jamison the fourth, uh, the forward midfielder who may have the most upside and could be somebody to watch in 2018 for the LA Galaxy. That's something that you're definitely going to want to pay attention to uh, is Bradford Jamison's role and what he thinks and what he's going to be able to do in 2018. You have Dave Romney, defender, Hugo Ariano, defender, Ariel Lasseter, a forward, uh, Jorgen Schielvik, a defender and an international spot. You have Rolf Felcher, um, who is also a defender and an international Ashley Cole, defender, international, and Baggio Husidic, midfielder. Uh, so that's where everything stands. 17 players right now, Britt. Eight international slots used of eight available international slots. The LA Galaxy have no more international slots, which means that they're either going to have to acquire one, Britt, if they want to sign another international, which they would have to do next year, by the way, if they sign this international to a multi-year contract, or... They're going to have to get rid of somebody. And as I said, they certainly were trying to get rid of Michael Ciani um, in this offseason and whether or not that goes through and whether or not they're, they're, they're willing to eat $620,000. There is, and I'll get, and I'll, I swear I'll let you talk here, Britt. Um, but with Ciani, I want to point out my uh, good friend, UCLA law professor, uh, Stephen Banks. Steve texted me and, on, tw- on Twitter or direct message or something and said that the Galaxy, if they wanted to, could eat. in salary, and it would not have any effect on the salary cap, but they would have to pay that money out of their own pockets. So they could just write it off if they really wanted to. And AEG recently listed as one of the richest owners in football across the world. In fact, I believe they were ranked 14th across the world. Richest owners has enough money to be able to write off Michael Ciani. It's a decimal point move for them. All right, so having seen all that, Looking at all these things that you have, Britt, only eight, they have eight international slots used. Uh, they don't have a goalkeeper. They don't have a striker that they clearly needed. Where do you see the biggest needs? Where are you worried the most when you look at this roster? I mean, obviously you need someone to start in goal. Um, Mike McGee isn't one of those midfielders, so that's not going to happen. Good good joke. Good joke. Well, Thank you. well played. Thank yes. you. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously at least two goalkeepers need to happen. So those are two of the slots right there. And I believe that Jao Pedro or Siani would be either one of those would be decent international spots to free up. Um, those are kind of my two biggest, two biggest hits there. And then of course, um, someone up top would be, would kind of be the biggest thing. I think again, like I said earlier, defender, I, I really think they have needs in almost every position. And they have, I mean, they have plenty of room to do it. So they do, they, they do. And 
So the the senior roster, and let's dig into MLS rules just for a second, so that way everybody can sort of understand the roster designations and, and how these things work. Um, senior spots are 1 through 20. That is your senior team. Those 1 through 20 spots count against the salary cap. Okay, so once you get your senior roster, who you designated as senior, and by the way, that doesn't mean that the guys who I've listed are senior roster players. Um, Ari Lasseter has been listed as a reserve player and still plays, but his his money basically doesn't count against the salary cap. Um, but 1 through 20, the senior roster is your salary cap. Then you have like 21 through 28, which is your reserve roster, and 29 and 30 are reserved for homegrown players. That's how these rosters work, and that's where you can put these different sort of people. So as you look at it, the LA Galaxy are still three players away from filling their top 20 and having their salary cap filled out. Um, I know... Th- I'm going to ask this question because maybe I'm unreasonable. Maybe I have no patience with people on Twitter anymore. Maybe maybe this offseason has rubbed me completely the wrong way, Britt. But do you feel like the LA Galaxy are behind the eight ball? Or do you feel like maybe they're probably right where they should be? Or are they just, are they doomed? They're do- they can't fill these spots in time. There's too many spots. They're never going to do it. I think that it's tough because the fewer changes they make, the more that they say 2017 was okay. That's kind of how I look at it. And I mean, I I told myself I wasn't going to bring it up, but the whole Klein signing a five-year extension kind of alludes to the fact that they were pretty okay with how last year went, apparently. But I still say roster-wise, the fewer changes they make, the more they say that what they had was okay and they're going to set themselves up for another season. Right. Well, I mean, they did get rid of 13 players, so you can't say that they didn't make changes. And that's that's the ones that they have waived and that aren't coming back, at least doesn't look like they're coming back anytime soon. So there is. But there isn't a lot of change to... Um, well, actually, see, that's not even true. I think that, you know, if you look at the starting lineup, yes, there's going to be a lot of familiar names, but you're going to have right back. There's going to be a right back at the start of the season, which will be nice. So you have that. Um, The starting lineup is almost there. I'll I'll skip to some of the news that I have so that way we can sort of bring this into our roster conversation. Uh, We know that David Bingham and uh, Servando Carrasco are both hanging out there in terms of their rights have been acquired, um, but they have not been signed yet. I feel, and this is one of those pay attention to the way Josh feels because he's feeling something, uh, I feel as if that is going to to have a solution here in the next week or so. So probably not tomorrow on Friday as most of you are listening to this podcast, not on Saturday, not on Sunday, but maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, I think we could feel like they're, we're going to get a resolution to the goalkeeper situation and we're going to get Carrasco on the roster as well. I feel like both of these guys are going to be added to the roster. So that's going to, again, that's going to put them at 19 players now, Britt. 19 players. Uh, still, they finally have a goalkeeper, so that spot has been filled. They're going to have to obviously get a backup goalkeeper. I expect that to be signed. But when you look at it, the starting lineup is pretty much set. Um, and I'm going to say that knowing full well that you're probably going to put Jossie Zardes as that striker up top. And that is the one complete failure that I see right now, is that one, you you tried to shop Zardes and you haven't been able to move him, which means that either you're asking too much money for him or nobody wants him, both of which could be a possibility. Um... And it was known in summertime uh, under Kurt Onolfo that the LA Galaxy needed a striker. And the fact that they have not signed one 
and not put somebody in that position, despite the fact that they, and I was talking over with somebody, um, despite the fact that they have tons of targeted allocation money right now, they are rich with targeted allocation money. They can do whatever they want in terms of signing a player up to $1.5 million. Why have they not signed a player up to $1.5 million, and why is that player not a striker? That makes zero sense to me. And the and the really scary thing, for me at least, is that the rumors I'm following right now, Britt, don't have a striker in sight. I It was going to be, you know, Robin Van Persie, the big sort of gamble that they were going to take on a 34-year-old who's been broken in Turkey. Um, and he was going to come in and he was going to save the day for the Galaxy and, and, and also be a name draw, which would have been nice. But that looks like that's not happening. Um, so really the only other rumors that we sort of do are Kamara, Ola Kamara from Columbus. That doesn't look like that's happening, or at least Kamara is playing it to the fact that it's his agent who is making all these moves and not him, which is sometimes a protection move. So we'll see if that happens. Um, so that doesn't look like it's happening or it's not imminent. I I don't feel like anything's going to happen right now. So the galaxy in my, if you're going to judge the galaxy on an A, B, C, D, F grade for the offseason up to this point, understanding that they basically, if they sign Bingham and they sign Carrasco for you, because I want to put those two, because I want to put Bingham in the goalkeeper spot, so that way we can sort of have a starting lineup. If they do that, what grade do you give the LA Galaxy right now in this offseason? I mean, ultimately, as far as the offseason goes, I would kind of give this a, a midterm grade. Right. Uh, I just, I would probably give them, I don't know, a B. They did cut a lot of people and there's some movement, but there's still so much room to go. And then the draft is coming up. They can pick up some young kids to kind of fill some backup roles as well, which is something that we also need to go over. But I think I, I really don't see them finishing this offseason without signing a forward. They, they have to, right? Because here's my great assessment of them right now to this point. Um, and I'd like to preface this by saying it could all change. If you sign a striker, th- things can change. You can you can suddenly vault up this scale, but it's an F. And the reason it's an F, and it's the reason that they have totally failed so far in this offseason, is they haven't signed a striker. And that was one of the largest roles that they needed. There were four things, four things, and I think I've said it every podcast since somebody told me these four things that they said that they needed. This is the LA Galaxy saying that they needed these. They needed a right back. Done. They needed a goalkeeper. Done. They needed another center back. Done. And they needed a striker. And they've known that since basically summertime last year. They knew it before that. So the fact that that hasn't been moved, and and the only sort of saving grace, and I'm going to throw this out here and watch Galaxy fans sort of melt around it, um, is that, you know, I said, why not spend $1.5 million on a striker? Well, maybe they are. But maybe that striker is not coming until the summertime. All right? Which, which again, everybody's like, freaking out right now what do you think if the LA Galaxy held off and waited for that summer transfer window to open up mm, I don't I really don't think that's going to happen they still have some time to sign someone and then it, going back to your your four points um so they said that they had four things they needed to do right getting three of those is 75 percent, which puts them at least at a C I think you're being a little bit too harsh on them no, no, not getting that final one no no the see but the one of the most important ones for me was the striker it's like it's like you're trying to get to the end of the maze, Britt. And if you get to the end of the maze, you're going to get a, a, a you know an A, basically. I'll give them an A in the offseason if they get a striker. If they get a decent striker, they can get an A because they filled every other role. But if you can't fill your most glaring need, which was a striker, the LA Galaxy, granted, the defense gave up 67 goals. I'll, I'll agree with that, and the defense needed strengthening. But the first thing on my list would have been to get a 
a impact making striker and they haven't done it. And there's no rumors. And maybe that's what scares me. Maybe that's why I'm more on the F train right now than I am on the A train. Uh, because if there's rumors, then I can start to say, okay, look, they're milling around. They're doing some things. I know they want a striker, but I just, I don't feel it. I don't hear it. I don't see it. So that's why, that's why I want to be completely unreasonable and still give them an F. Okay, I'm glad you called yourself unreasonable. Yeah, that's so fine. Yes. I didn't have to. Yeah, no, I, I realize I'm ridiculous. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, Kurt Schmidt's been in this role for how many weeks now? I think give him some time to do some digging. And I, I really don't see them starting the season without signing a striker. Oh, you're going to be back on it's, before it's the season gonna starts. Happen. You're going to be back on before the season starts. So you you will have to live up with that decision if they don't do it. So uh, anyway, but that's that's the roster where it stands right now. The chat room going crazy, throwing out different names that are never. Somebody just mentioned that Jinyak should come in. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Bring in Jinyak for one point five million dollars. Make that deal happen. <sighs> All right. Uh, let's see where else we go. Uh, the LA Galaxy schedule. Here is the fun part, and we talked about it a little bit at the be- uh, a little bit at the beginning of the show, Britt. The LA Galaxy schedule is released. Um, we find out all the fun news that happens with the LA Galaxy and this schedule. Um, there are fun games listed now, and it's always fun. It's always fun to see 34 games laid out in front of you, and knowing that you know I'm going to go to probably 17 of those games, the, all the home games. Um, and and it's it's all beginning at the beginning because I, I always remember that as it gets closer to the end, I'm always like, how did they go by so fast? How did they play all those games and, and already get through it? So uh, we already knew, Britt, that the LA Galaxy were opening up against the Portland Timbers on Sunday, March 4th at StubHub Center. That's a 7 p.m. game, and it is nationally televised on Fox Sports 1. Uh, we then go into uh, New York City where the LA Galaxy will travel all the way over to Yankee Stadium and play New York City FC on Sunday, March 11th. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps on March 24th in BC Place. March 31st is the very first matchup between the newest rivals, and they are rivals already. If you haven't already, if you don't want to give them that credit, I, I don't know how you can. But LAFC will come to StubHub Center for the very first time on March 31st uh, at 12 p.m. on Fox. That is a Saturday game. In fact, it's the only Saturday matchup between these three teams. I'm going to get into that a little bit, uh, a little bit later. But I mean, Britt, you, you look at the schedule, <coughs> excuse me, you look at the schedule, you look at all these different things that are going on, um, you look at all the different big games, can you pull out one or two or three games that you see and you look at and say these are must-watch games? I mean, of course, the, the first one against LAFC is necessary. Um, even though it's a noon start, sorry, Augie's not happy with something right now, Um Augie's the dog, by the way. I didn't want people to think like, you know, you have somebody held hostage there. It's just the dog. (laughs) It's my dog that's growling at someone (laughs) outside. Um, So it's noon start time. I I understand broadcasting and how that works, but I think this rivalry could have gotten a later start. Anyway, that's a must watch for sure. Um, It's kind of the biggest one for me because the other ones are midweek games yeah there, there are so i i will i will point out that for me at least the ones that i've highlighted uh atlanta united come into StubHub center for the very first time so you'll play two teams for the very first time in 2018 um so atlanta united is coming in they're fun to watch that is saturday april 21st at 7 30 p.m uh by the way if you're looking at the schedule 
uh, Brit or anybody else, and you see that the the TV partner over on the right hand side is listed as MLS. Those are going to be Spectrum Sportsnet, Spectrum Deportes games, um, because basically uh, they're going to release that schedule. They do it at different times so that way Spectrum can get all the press and buzz that they need to get whenever they announce how many games they'll be covering. So all the ones that say MLS will be Spectrum. I already verified that they didn't go anywhere. It's just how it normally is, and that's the way things are. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, so Atlanta. Atlanta United is sort of my other one. Do you have another one on there that sort of pops out to you, at least a, an opponent that you, you're you're thinking would be a fun one to go see? I mean, one of the first things I check for every year the schedule comes out is to make sure that July 4th game is still happening. That's always a fun one. DC United, uh, July 4th, StubHub Center, 7.30 p.m. That is a Wednesday game, but at least it's a Wednesday on a holiday, So, uh, which means that you're going to be ex- exhausted and tired for the next day when you have to go to work. So that'll be fun. Right, and a symbolic opponent. Yeah. All good there. There. Um, shoot, I was going somewhere with that. Um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. It's Go okay. I, I, I interrupted you again. It's sort of my thing. Uh, let's see you, you Saturday, July 7th at StubHub Center, just three days after the July 4th game, you get the Columbus crew coming in. It may be the last time the galaxy get to play the Columbus crew when, until they're the Austin crew or whatever they're going to be. So that maybe that's something that we should watch as well. Uh, LAFC again on Thursday. This one's at bank of California stadium. A Thursday game. So let's talk about traffic in Los Angeles just for a second. Thursday nights are generally the worst day for traffic. Am I if my off base on that? Yeah. Um, they're all pretty terrible, but eh, eh, Thursdays, Friday's the worst midweek. You think Friday? You think Friday's the Friday's worst? Friday's awful. Friday to me is a bunch of people who leave early. So like at four o'clock, it's as busy as it was five o'clock, which means at six o'clock, it's at sort of the, the, the seven o'clock range, which means that if you're leaving a little later, you can usually, usually drive a little better. And that's my opinion. I'm, it's still going to take me almost two hours to get to StubHub from Orange County. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you can also look at, um, and Thursdays to me are the worst because everybody leaves at the same time and trying to get anywhere. So Britt, I, for me, I'm going to have to go from Orange County to Bank of California Stadium, and somebody pointed out that LAFC can't even spell bank correctly. Um, and yes, I know that's the sponsor's name. Everybody calm down. Um, so Bank, Bank of California Stadium, I'm going to try to get to downtown LA on a Thursday for this game that starts at 7.30 p.m., so not even an 8 p.m. start, which would have been so lovely. Now, it's nationally televised on the ESPN. So if I want to get to Bank of California Stadium in downtown L.A. and from Orange County, I will have to leave sometime on Thursday night. I mean, park at one of the train stations and take the and train take in the... so you don't have to deal with right. that kind of traffic. I think that's going to be a lot of my my uh, routes to the stadium for those away games. There's only one away game there, so that, that that's is, my plan for yeah, that game. That is, and LAFC is the only opponent the LA Galaxy will play three times this year, all right? So everybody keep a heads up on that. That is the only one. It used to be in the Western Conference. You would play a couple teams three times. That is not happening anymore. Um, you only play one Western Conference opponent three times. You play everybody twice, home and away, and then you play and in your conference, and then the Eastern Conference, you get to play them once, either home or away, and it alternates from year to year, which is why Atlanta United is coming in. Um, let's see. I was trying to think and pick out some other one. Toronto FC, uh, the LA Galaxy will travel on September 15th to Toronto FC and BMO Field. Um, that's a Saturday game. Uh, Sunday, September 23rd, is Seattle Sounders coming to StubHub Center for their only time at 4 p.m. That's a Fox Sports 1 uh, game as well. 
Uh, let's see. I want to go over some other things, some some facts about the schedule here, Britt, um, because I think MLS is missing sort of the boat on some of this stuff, um, especially for the LA Galaxy. We all know that the LA Galaxy draw the best on Saturday nights. This is not even close. If you want to sell out a stadium, you play on Saturday night. You want to have a nice crowd, you can play on Friday, you can play on Sunday, but you're not going to have the same crowd that you're going to have on Saturday night. Uh, the LA Galaxy will play 20 games on Saturdays, which you would think is great, but only of those 20 games, only seven of those games are on a Saturday night. So basically, you end up playing only 41% of your LA Galaxy home games on Saturday, the best day to draw a crowd. And this is directly related to the TV contract with ESPN and Fox and the national television broadcasts and why it is better for them to have these, these Sunday games and these Friday night games instead of these Saturday night games. And to me, they're sacrificing the experience at the stadium for the big payday. And it's tough. I realize you have to have both, but you know, my off base on this, it seems like the LA galaxy would be best playing a bunch of their games on Saturday nights. It's the easiest way to get to the stadium. It's the easiest time to get to the stadium. It gives you the most leeway and you don't have to stay up late on a school night, quote unquote, a work night, um, you know, on a Sunday, or you don't have to rush after work on a Friday in order to make these things happen. And, and to me, it seems like they're missing something here. Can I play uh, Devil's ad- yes, Advocate? Yes, go for it. Okay. Uh, I want to say that the national media is going to be a little more excited about the newcomers in town for these national broadcast games. Right. Well, the- So they're going to get more of the, uh, the primetime slots instead of these uh, Friday night, Sunday night, Wednesday night games. Well, here's the deal is that the Yellow Galaxy will be on national TV 13 times. Um, ESPN has three, actually ESPN has four, whenever you count ESPN and ESPN2. Fox Sports 1 has four. Um, Univision has one. Fox has one. Um, that's, that's mainstream Fox, by the way, and that is where in the LA Galaxy will host LAFC. That is on, you know, channel, channel Fox, not Fox Sports 1, mainstream Fox. Uh, and then Unamas has three. So there's 13 nationally televised games. The very interesting thing for me, at least, is that in some of these big games, especially with ESPN, is they really like the away games, not the home games for the LA Galaxy. Um, and it's Fox has all four LA Galaxy home games, um, whenever you, or Fox Sports 1, whenever you look at it. Uh, and even Major Fox has a home game as well. So, I mean, it, there seems to be a shift. And if it's not for nationally televised games, Britt, then why would the LA Galaxy willingly want to play games not on Saturday nights. There has to be other scheduling things going on. Um, there's there's certainly, early in the season, there's certainly no reason why the LA Galaxy can't play on a Saturday night. And even as, as the Chargers come into play, you're going to want them to play on Saturday night because the Chargers are going to play on Sunday. So, it, it, again, it just, there's, here's, the, here's the games by day of the week. Um, one game on Monday. All right, that's May 21st at Montreal Impact. Uh, there's three home games on Wednesdays. Okay, so that's a midweek game that's lots of fun. Uh, there's one game on Thursday. That's the July 26th game at LAFC that we were talking about. Uh, Friday, there are two games. 
right? And so you look at May 25th versus San Jose Earthquakes, um, and then August 24th versus LAFC. Again, a Friday. Why is that game not on a Saturday uh, for me? And I guarantee that's a nationally televised game. Um, so that's one. That's probably why it's not on a Saturday, although it would probably have the best atmosphere if it was. Um, and then you have the Saturday games where there are 20 Saturday games, but again, 13 of those are away and seven of those are at home. And then there are five games at home on Sunday and two away on Sundays. To me, it feels like there's this uneven balance. Now, if you wanted to say, and I did the math, so I can, I can say this, if you wanted to say that 70% of the LA Galaxy's games are on the weekend, you would be correct. So Saturday and Sunday makes up about 70%. But I don't know. Those Friday games and those Wednesday games are just... They they bother me in Los Angeles. I've seen the crowds since I've watched this this team, and they fill the place up on Saturday nights. Any other day is a crapshoot. Right. I agree with that. I think that... I mean, I haven't looked at previous years' schedule breakdown. I feel like this is more weekend games than they've had in a long time. Um, I know it's been very Sunday heavy yes. for the home games. Yes, it has been. But I feel like seven Saturdays is kind of a lot, actually. Not not a ton, but I think it's it's still up there. 20 Saturdays in a season is, is a lot more than they've had in the past. I, I think it's interesting that they have 13 away Saturday games. You would think that they would have more Saturday games at home than they would away. It's just, it just, it's one of those things that just, just, just sort of sticks out. It's like, it's okay to, for the Galaxy to play on Saturdays at other people's places, but whenever you're looking for the Galaxy to play at StubHub Center, nope, you can't play on Saturdays. You can only get seven of them. Um, and that feels like, you, it feels backwards to me. I don't know. Do you think they're still trying to get that Galaxy draw for those other teams? So that basically, yes, you put it prime time for the, all those other teams to get the draw because, hey, the Galaxy's coming to town. Yes, but then so why? trying to bump it up in other markets. But then why don't the Galaxy get the prime time draw at their own stadium at Saturdays, they, which they do se- seven, whatever. Okay, anyway, we'll move on. I just, <laughs> I just, I really feel like, and this is going to be something I'm going to touch on here in just a second, but I feel like that there is this, and I understand why. The money is a huge amount of money for Major League Soccer, and that's why they move some of these games to Fridays and Sundays and nationally televised and Wednesdays and Thursdays and all those other things. I get it. In fact, the, if you were going to play a trivia contest, by the way, Britt, the only day of the week the Galaxy don't play on is a Tuesday. Um, which, by the way, I think I hope for a U.S. Open Cup on a Tuesday night, and then just you go, you got the Yahtzee trifecta there of uh, all the different, uh, all the different uh, days of the week. So anyway, uh, games by month. Uh, you have four games in March, two home, two away. Four games in April, three home, one away. Five games in May, two uh, two at home, three away. Uh, June has three games, and June is where the World Cup break will take place as well. So the Galaxy will play on June 2nd at Portland Timbers, June 9th versus Real Salt Lake. And then there is a nine-day break, basically. That's what they're saying. But the Galaxy won't play again until June 30th at San Jose Earthquakes. So one home game, two away in June. July, it starts to get busy. July is the busiest month on the calendar, as it normally is. Three home, three away, six games total. Uh, And the LA Galaxy will go on a three-game road trip during that. And by the way, three games is the longest road trip they have, and two games is the longest homestand that they have, uh, in case you're keeping track. August is five games, so six games in July, five in August, three and two away. Uh, September 4th, home for two games, away for two games, and then October, and it, it there's another international break in October, if you remember, there are three games. Home one and uh, two for away. So that is it um, in terms of the schedule and things. Uh, July's always busy for the Galaxy, but you know what this July schedule signals to me? 
Britt, is that there probably won't be any friendlies played because they're six games in July and it doesn't look like they have any room to wiggle. Mm, oh. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> didn't they have a ridiculous July in years past just to throw those friendlies in there? They don't have any midweek games uh, from July 7th through the 21st. So if I... I if I was a betting person, I would put one in there somewhere. Uh, just shoot them. Just shoot them. They, you, everybody will complain. You know, professional athletes need to learn how to play, you know, seven and eight games in a month, Brett. That's what I'm told all the time. They And, and don't worry about that travel. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. if we're talking about the away game, that uh, they only have two technical away games because that third away game is in Los Angeles. So It's just up the road to the LAFC. That's going to be nice. I get to, the, the away games I get to travel to will be in city sometimes. So that'll, that'll, be, that'll be good. So I can mark down some away games on my list. And then uh, I want to give credit where credit's due. They don't have a god-awful eight-game road trip this year. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, there's no long... Again, the longest road trip is three games. It happens two times. So uh, And one of those is, as you said, an LAFC game. So really only a two-game road trip. Not too bad. Uh, longest home game, home stand, I said, was two games. That happens six times. So that's sort of the schedule and how it breaks down. If you go on cornerthegalaxy.com, you can see my complete breakdown and some of the games that I highlighted, including the games against LAFC and the games against the San Jose Earthquakes, the two biggest rivals for the LA Galaxy. So the Cali Classico will get, will get played twice this year instead of three times. Uh, but the the new one, do we the El Trafico, I believe, is the the one currently leading the uh, the races in terms of what we're calling LA Galaxy versus LAFC. Uh, El Trafico will take place three times, which is kind of exciting for this year, at least for me. So uh, let's go on to um, our last topic and something I wanted to cover and have some fun with. Now, I, I purposely made uh, on my show notes to give people a little bit behind baseball. Uh, I purposely made sure that nobody could uh, uh, that Britt didn't know what I was going to be reading to her. And so I sort of wanted to get her her take on some of this. A Galaxy fan sent this to me uh, almost without any sort of precursor to it. They just sent it to me and said, read this. Um, and they clipped some things from this, and they linked an article. And so I'm going to read this, uh, Britt, and I want you to uh, to sort of take this in, and then I'll I'll ask for your opinion on it. Um, so, and I'll t- I'll give the link. I'll, I'll give who this is by and what this is about here in a second. But let's just start. And I'm quoting from this article. It says, "Well, skyrocketing ticket prices and the and the declining brilliance of the team on the pitch had led to a certain apathy from longtime fans. But most interestingly, the club has shown a complete inability to connect with its history." The club managers pay more attention to TV rights than to the fans in the stadium. It's actually better for the board to have a silent, denatured stadium in order to avoid any criticism. The stands are full of tourists who care more about taking selfies than about football. Um, what do you think about that? Just in terms of if somebody said that about the LA Galaxy, would you think that they're crazy? Um, or would you think that, that maybe they had uh, something in their minds? I mean, I think that it's only a good time in the stadium if there's good play on the field. I think the two have to play each off each other a lot more. Right. So I think for one, for those to be disconnected is unfair. Okay. And I think it's insulting the soccer knowledge in Los Angeles. It, it would be. It would be. Um, and and the, the one that I think probably links to the LA Galaxy most um, is, well, skyrocketing ticket prices and the declining brilliance of the team on the pitch had led to a certain apathy from longtime fans. I don't think that the fans in, in L.A. have have an apathy towards it right now, at least not the diehard fans. They want things to be fixed. Um, so so when I read this, it, it certainly feels like it was it could be written about the L.A. Galaxy, right? 
Sure. Okay, sure. Uh, it was written about Barcelona, which I thought was interesting, but they sent it to me sort of saying, this sort of seems like it fits to uh, the LA Galaxy. And uh, this is <coughs> this is from an article in Vice, and it says, uh, FC Barcelona, it's the, the name of the article, FC Barcelona is winning matches and losing its fan base. Uh, it's Vice Sports and Jordi uh, Mister, M-E-S-T-R-E, from Vice Sports uh, uh, wrote this article. It's really interesting if you go and read it, but I thought that those two points were just interesting, and somebody sent it to me and said, hey, what do you think about this? And I immediately said, having read the quotes basically that, that you heard, Britt, I said, wow, somebody wrote this about the LA Galaxy. I go, it's not a hundred percent but I could feel like they could target this at the club right now and I think that that's something that the galaxy should worry about because if you and I can link it to the galaxy without too much issue uh, and I'm sure some of our our fans and our listeners can can link it with to the LA galaxy with too much issue um, then that says something it also says something that it's about Barcelona which I think is really interesting too because they're one of the best teams in the in the world but um, I feel like MLS, and, and I sort of alluded to it in the beginning at the at the schedule part of the things, Britt, is I feel like MLS is certainly taking the TV money and running, but they may be doing so at the expense of the stadium experience. And when you see the stadiums on TV, it's not necessarily marketing very well um, for for a lot of those nationally televised games. Because I can bet that a Friday night nationally televised game for the LA Galaxy will have 22,000, 23,000 people in it. But it won't be a Saturday game that has 25,000 or 27,000. And that's the, that's sort of the difference to me is the optics of it is that if you have a full stadium and the atmosphere is good, then it broadcasts on television and it really makes people want to go and experience these things and it helps grow the fan base. Um, if you're doing these things just for the money and you don't care about the time slot, you're only doing the time slot to grab the viewers on television, then maybe there's something wrong there. Any, any thoughts? No, I agree. Um, I mean, we're always going to bring up traffic in Los Angeles. So midweek games are, I agree with you there. And if I, cause I kind of, um, it's just reminded me of the whole East coast people complaining about late starts on the West coast and how they don't consider making things any earlier being a problem for West Coast people who are actually going to the game. So I think there's a lot of new soccer media that's focusing a lot on that on that broadcasting when it doesn't, again, like you said, doesn't really help the environment in the stadium whatsoever. Yeah, and it's, again, we're going to, and, and this is going to be a really interesting comparison that you get to see this year, Britt, which is going to be, for me, and I said it's exciting in the Los Angeles soccer scape. It is. It is exciting. There are two teams in Los Angeles. There's a realistic competitor for butts in seats um, for the LA Galaxy, which they've never had before, because Chivas USA certainly wasn't that. Uh, LAFC is putting together a product that will compete with the LA Galaxy. Bottom line is that that is what is gonna, going to happen. Uh, LAFC is going to get to sell out a stadium which, which will hold 22,000 people. The LA Galaxy will probably struggle to sell out a stadium that holds 25 to 27,000 people, but they'll probably still average more than LAFC. Uh, or at least it'll be very close whenever it all comes down. That's sort of going to be the battle for, I, I guess, LA, the hearts and minds of LA, is whether or not these things um, can happen and whether or not the LA Galaxy can step up and put people in those seats in those games that historically don't draw well. And that's when I look at the schedule and I say only seven home games um, on Saturdays and you sit there and go, well, they're already up against, you know, a, a very, you know, formidable opponent in terms of competing for marketing dollars and, and for putting butts in seats. And you're going to, then you're going to sit there and you're only going to have seven home games on Saturdays. You're historically best drawing days. So that's where I sort of link all this together and put all those things together. It's not 
It's not the great thing. Uh, it's not the best thing. Uh, but that's sort of where we sit right now. I- I'm going to say if you have any calls for the uh, for the podcast, now would be the time to get them in. We are getting ready to uh, to move on and, and to call it uh, quits for the night. Britt, is there anything that you had? Did you have any questions from anybody that uh, that that said anything? Is is there anything you want to get to before we uh, close this out? Uh, nope, not that I'm aware of. All right, let me check Twitter before we uh, head out of here just to make sure and see if we got everything and see if we uh, everybody's uh, happy with with everything. I know that uh, we're we're looking at uh, at the chat room as well. All right, looks good. Um, I got a question about uh, Ethan Zubach earlier. Okay, what is what is this question? I'm trying to find it. Okay, I. I about him getting first minutes kind of thing? First team minutes. In fact, if I re- read that question correctly, it was Ethan Zubak and getting starting. He should be the starting striker for the LA Galaxy. That's right. That's, yeah, I need no. No, but it's I, I think he should get some first team minutes. I have no problems with that. He's a great player. Let's see what he... I want to see... You have to see what these guys do uh, in terms of on the field with the senior team. And again, if you just called, call in again. Um, I can't always see or hear the call whenever it comes in. So call in again, and I'll try to get you on the air. Um, but anyway, no, I mean, you, you have to see these guys. And we learned it, you know, from all of the young guns that struggled last year, um, is that what can you do in an MLS uniform on an MLS field going against MLS opponents? Uh, you need to prove something. And you need to prove something sometimes, Britt, in garbage time. Um, right. when, when and, nothing matters. And I think it needs to be said that doing well on galaxy two does not equate doing well on the first team. No, no, but it certainly can be an indication of possibly doing well, but it doesn't mean that there's automatically somebody's going to do well. So, uh, let's see if I can get to a call here. Uh, let's see, do, 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 hit a button, talk to thing four, two, four. Who's this? Hey, this is Chris calling from Culver city. Hey, Chris, thanks for calling in. What can we do for you? First of all, let me say I'm one of the faithful 1,400 that uh, frequent your show. Uh, I really want to comment on LAFC. Yes. LA has had a team for over 20 years. It's been a very attractive team. We've had superstars. We've had Hispanic superstars. And if you haven't jumped on the LA Galaxy as an LA citizen, then I'm sorry, but you're jumping on LAFC as a bandwagon. And this is, this is, this is not even going to be a rivalry. And I know they're pushing it down our throats, but sorry if any LAFC fans are listening. Yeah. I mean, listen, yeah, yeah, Chris, here's my thing is that I, I agree with you some ways. If you're really into soccer and you live in Los Angeles and you haven't been to an LA Galaxy game by this point, and they've been around, this is their 23rd season, then yeah, you've been missing out. But I will say this, that putting a team in the heart of a city, which was never an option before, so everybody acts like the LA Galaxy should build a downtown stadium. It was never an option until probably the last couple of years. But you're going to put it there, and you're going to put it in front of people who it's going to be close to, who like soccer, who watch it on TV, but never thought about going to an MLS game, regardless of the fact that they had a championship team that was only, you know, 20, 30 minutes down the road. All right. So it is different and it is going to approach different people. And there's certain people that have been turned off by the LA galaxy. All right. And maybe they went to a couple games and they didn't like it and they didn't like the experience in Carson and they thought MLS was horrible and they saw it 10 years ago. And now all of a sudden LAFC plops down and you're like, well, maybe I'll give it another try. So it's not just that 
people have been missing the boat, although I agree with you, they're going to ra- they're going to find people who are going to want to watch soccer, and that's going to be their conduit to get to it because it's a shiny new object, a stadium in downtown. It is absolutely, it has all the hype and the ownership there. That's not unrealistic or, or you know, even, I don't think it's even a stretch to think that they're going to be able to sell out that stadium. 22,000 people is nothing for them. Right. One more thing, Josh, if I can. Yeah, please. Take a little bit of your time. Honestly, going into 2018, I don't feel confident at all as long as Gio is a starter for our team. I I believe that the number 10 spot is the most important spot on any team. That's, That's your backbone. That's the guy making plays. That's the guy creating everything. And Gio is none of those things. So as long as he's on our team, 2018 is such a it's so up in the air so inconsistent like it was 2015 we went what seven or eight games without scoring a goal and a lot of that was because no one was creating plays yeah yeah well i i think first of all and chris i appreciate it. we're going to take your comments off the air we're going to wrap up the show here but thanks for calling i appreciate it buddy thank you have a good all right so so chris talking about uh you know uh geo there brit and geo can be a good player in fact in my mind, and you can tell me if you think I'm crazy, Britt, G is the most talented player on the field for the LA Galaxy, hands down. Is, is there yes. any, is that, is that wrong? Is that out of left field? Um, no. No, okay. He's the most talented player on the field. The problem is that one, as Chris said, you know, you need a number 10 who makes plays. Well, I'll, I'll argue this right now. Gio's not a number 10. He never has been. Uh, and I, we've, we have this fun on the podcast all the time. I don't know where Gio's best position is. I don't know if you put him up high and you have somebody play underneath him. I don't know if you play him underneath somebody, which is where I tend to believe he plays his best, uh, is underneath a striker, but also somebody he can combine with. <coughs> I don't know if you drop him further back into midfield and you let him combine with, with Jonah more and you let those two sort of switch off going forward and you have a striker or number nine who sits up high. I don't know those things, and thank God I'm not in charge of trying to figure it out. Because for me, Gio, despite the fact that he is the most technically gifted player on the field, goes missing for large swaths of games, uh, tends to look uninterested and unevolved, and he's not somebody who grabs the ball and makes things happen, a la Robbie Keane or Landon Donovan. Um, And those are his shortcomings. It's not the talent problem. Gio has plenty of talent. I don't know if it's even a motivation problem. Sometimes I just think it's just that Gio does not fit in the system that the Galaxy are playing, and I just I don't know what that system is. Where where do I you think, Yeah, go ahead. I think it's so unfair to to put all the blame on Gio. I'm not saying that you are, but I've seen arguments that you can't put the blame on someone when he doesn't have the team around him that is normally of that quality. I would say I think last season was a lot of USL players on the field. And so he didn't have that assistance that he needed. And I, I really, I'm trying to understand the geo hate. I know he disappears sometimes and galaxy gods forgive me, but so did Landon Donovan. He did. <laughs> he did. He like, did. Absolutely. It happens, you know, Here. and I think it's really unfair to put the blame on him when Landon had all this help around him. Landon had a lot of help around him, obviously, with Robbie Keane, David Beckham, but Landon, I mean, had a lot of help throughout the years. And, and certainly, there's something to the fact that he, it was a poor team last year. But 
when you have a guy who's making $5.5 million, the most on the team, that they say they're going to build the team around him and Giassi's artists, and those were mistakes, it seems like, from, from the beginning, I can understand the criticism. With the money comes the criticism. Nobody's ma- nobody's yelling at you know somebody like Bradley Diallo, who makes $67,000 because he didn't show up and play. Um, so I think, and here's the thing that I, I get, but I also don't agree with is the hate that then transfers over to Jonathan Dos Santos. Jonathan Dos Santos is probably the better player in terms of actual productive results and stats between Gio and Jonah. Jonah's a very good player. He doesn't score goals because he's not a goal scorer. Uh, he's, he's a box to box midfielder and he does it very, very well. And he's a very good player. So Jonah's great. Um, but the fact is that they're linked together because they have the same last name and because right now, those two players probably are keeping, you know, the LA Galaxy from securing another designated player. And whether you want to heap that on those guys or not, you know, that's the way the Galaxy decided to make it. So I, I get the I get the hate for Geo. At five point five million dollars, he needs to produce. He didn't produce last year, and yes, it could be that it's because the team around him was horrible, which it was. Um, so you're certainly willing. I'm willing to give him a hall pass on it, but I also need to see a Geo on occasion who takes over a game. And the the most frustrating thing for me, Britt, is that he has the talent to do it and he doesn't do it ever. Because he doesn't have the help that he needs. He doesn't have that kind of playmaker around him to to help him. He doesn't have that helper that he had with Robbie Keane. That it, it's just not there. And I definitely agree that I don't understand that translating the heat over to to Jonah as well here's here's and and here's the other thing is that even whenever he was with Robbie Keane and even when that happened it was a successful partnership both of those guys were limited during the year um and and Gio came in I think halfway through the year um but you know you you look at all those things that that sort of happen I still I don't know that you can count on Gio to be the number 10 I don't know that you can count on him to be a goal scorer but if he's given people, and right now that midfield is stacked with people who are able to give him the ball, maybe you stick him up high, Brett. Maybe that's his new position. Maybe he is that number nine. Maybe you put him as close to goal as possible. As Bruce Arena once said, uh, putting Geo closer to the goal is probably a good idea. Um, and maybe he scores. But he's going to have to prove if, if it comes out flat again, and despite the fact that they're rebuilding um, and reconstructing and remodeling this roster, he's going to take the brunt of it because he makes the most money. And I think but, that I think that goes with almost anybody who makes the most money. But who is that creative playmaker in the midfield that would give him the ball? You're going to say it's Jonah. Jonah has to be that creative player. That's why they brought him in to link up with Gio. Right? That's it. Who else are you going to put? You could say Legette. You want to put Legette in there? You Legette could be the playmaker. You want to say Allison Drini? Allison Drini and Gio had a great partnership going, and then Gio had to leave for I think the Confederations Cup with Mexico. So, so I, I would agree with that legit one because I'm, I'm just going through this list in my mind and we've seen all of these players interact in last season and obviously it wasn't working, but I think maybe legit's that spark. I think that there's still something missing in that, uh, in that midfield. Well, this will with- be, a, yeah, I was going to say this will be a conversation we're definitely c- going to continue as we get closer because this is, I mean, it really is. And you're right. There is a focused amount of laser beam hate pointed at Geo um, and I love discussing it. Uh, because I think it's the most interesting dynamic that's on the field right now is where does Geo play and how do you get him to be productive? Because Bruce Arena got him to be semi-productive. Uh, can Siggy Schmidt figure out that code as well? And is it as simple as putting a world-class striker like Robbie Keane next to him, which is going to be difficult for the Galaxy with uh, all three designated players taken up? All right, Brett, anything else you want to get to before we uh, get on out of here? Nope, that's all I got. Awesome. All right, if you're looking... For uh, Britt, actually, you should you should do this. So where can people find you uh, on Twitter so that way they can follow you? 
On Twitter, underscore Brit Joe. So that's B-R-I-T-T-J-O. All right. Anything else? Are you writing for uh, TotalMLS.net still? Yes, I am. All right. So make sure you go there and follow Brit as well. All right. If you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N. And of course, at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter as well. That's where you can find all of our news and information. And then head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. That's where all of our podcasts live. That's where all the news articles, we break down the scheduling. We look at Baggio Sidich, Ashley Colbury signing, and we have all of your news information right there at cornerofthegalaxy.com. All right. For Miss Britt Pergel, we wish everybody a very good offseason as we continue along. Kevin and I will be back on Monday night. Everyone have a very good weekend, and we will talk to you later. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.